But if competition's yep. your thing, you don't shy away from it. You go give it a run. That would be my guess. No, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, it makes sense. Let me ask somebody. That's the, only, that's the only spiel you've got. You've got to give them. Yeah. Look, we've got we've got a, a we have a lack of talent in the running back room, and we've got to address it. And you're going to have to compete to get on the field. Yeah. Let's uh, ask somebody about that and some other things. Somebody who uh, covered the Gamecocks and covered Deshane Beamer very closely. Time for another edition of the Port Authority with our good friend Ben Portnoy of the Sports Business Journal. He probably knows how Shane Beamer's addressing uh, guys in a particular room where there's a lot of bodies. Welcome in, sir. How are you? What's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, as always. Where are you located tonight? Tonight I am uh, I am home in Columbia for the first time in about a week and a half. So it's been uh, it's been nice to it's nice to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> yeah, last time we talked to you, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Last time we talked to you, you had been to Penn State, and I think you were then going to be heading out to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship. Was that the last time we connected? That's right. That's right for the Pac-12 championship and the Mountain West title game that were out there along with. Uh, Obviously, have a number of other things with uh, SBJ's conference that uh, went on there, and certainly, uh, certainly a few news items out of uh, Charlie Baker and all. Well, fill us in on what you've uh, what you've picked up the last couple of weeks that really um, stand out to you. Yeah, you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I think that you know, starting with the Pac-12 championship, I think that for one, made for a really fun, entertaining game. Um, you know, there was. It was kind of a fun, at least for me personally. I covered Michael Penix when he was at Indiana when I was an undergrad, uh, and seeing him on that stage was really fun and, and really cool to see. And same thing with him. a hell of a football game, and, and also just a really, really kind of bizarre setting. I think we've had cell hell for Ben. Ben, we've lost your cell. Clemson game last year, right? Oh. Whatever it might be, but. With a game like the Pac-12 title game, there's this sense of finality with it, um, and that you know that at the end of the night, this this thing is over. Like, there's probably not a path forward for the Pac-12 to exist in its current form, and uh, that's a really weird thing and a really bizarre scene and, and kind of a weird thing. You know, I was down on the field after the game after you know most people had cleared out, and you know the only people on the field were people from the Pac-12 league office, and they literally it was a, a Green Day song, "Good Riddance" was playing. And everyone was on the stage, George Kleavkoff <laughs> included. Uh, and they were all sitting there, like, arm in arm. Some people were crying, all that. And credits were literally rolling on the screen. Like, everyone's name was being run across the, the scoreboard at, at Allegiant Stadium. And it was like the credits are literally rolling on the Pac-12. It was just – it was a really interesting and kind of, you know, bizarre, sad, all the above scene mm-hmm. uh, for everyone involved. And uh, definitely an interesting dynamic, but uh, certainly, uh, certainly that wasn't the only thing going on in Vegas, and, and a lot of uh, a lot more is going on uh, the last few weeks in the uh, in the college sports world as well. How was the commissioner greeted when he was introduced? You know, he kind of it was a really bizarre dynamic in that Charlie Baker kind of, or excuse me, Charlie Baker, George Klyavkov was kind of in the shadows, like. I was joking with someone. He had grown a, a goatee, and, hmm. uh, you know, you almost didn't recognize him. He looked like he had been hunkered down and hiding for about four months, which, you know, fair. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, he kind of handed the trophy off and kind of scurried off the stage. I think, you know, certainly he hasn't spoken a lot publicly. Certainly there's enough lawsuits going around in college sports right now. 
uh, to be dealt with. And, and certainly the Pac-12 doesn't want to be handed another one of those with, you know, some kind of comments or whatever it might be. So uh, it was interesting. I, I, you know, he was around, but not really around. It was, a, it was a really funky dynamic for sure. And very different than anything else that, you know, anything that I've been a part of for sure. Yeah. Visiting with Ben oh, Portnoy. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I, I was going to slide in here real quick, uh, Ben, before we move on from the Pac-12. What's the end game in your mind for Washington State and Oregon State, aside from the amount of money that they're trying to block going to the other schools? I mean, do they have a plan in place? Or are they going to try and gobble up the Mountain West to keep the Pac-12 alive? I mean, what is their end game to the, these legal battles that they're getting into? Yeah, you know, I would say that every indication that I've gotten and the folks that I've talked to is that there will be eventually, and, you know, this could happen a year from now, maybe it's five years from now, maybe it's 20 minutes from now. Like, there's no real timetable on it, but, like, my understanding is that the Pac-12 and Mount, excuse me, the Pac-12, the Pac-2, Oregon State and Washington State, and the Mountain West will probably merge in some capacity. I think that, like, the scheduling alliance was probably a step in that direction. Uh, We saw that announced today. Uh, the Mountain West released its schedule along with Oregon State and Washington State and who they'll play. Uh, I, I think the end game here is probably that those two teams will end up in the Mountain West. Now, whether that comes with controlling the droves of money that will go into the Pac-12 this year and next year through you know media rights deals and all of those things, we'll see. That's still got to be decided in court, right? And I think you know for the time being, Oregon State and Washington State control the board, and, and the board is not allowed to meet, basically, uh, for the time being due to the rulings and injunctions and all of that that – you know, has me thinking that I should have gone to law school in order to do this job. But <laughs> I do think, that, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's, there's an interesting dynamic there. But um, but I think that, you know, the end game here is that in a perfect world, I think Washington State and Oregon State would control the assets of the Pac-12 and, and go and merge in some capacity with the Mountain West. Now, again, what that looks like and when that happens, we'll see. But my understanding is that that's, that's kind of where we're headed at some point sooner than later, probably. What about there's something going on, some litigation going on, with those two schools, that's kind of um, holding up uh, payments to the rest of the schools. They're, they're big TV money payments. Am I right about that? I think I read something about that. You know anything about that? Correct, yeah. So as I understand it, and I'll do my best to uh, weed through the legalese as best I can for the listeners, but yeah. you know, the super simple version is that the Pac-12 as an entity controls all of this money that comes in, right? Just like the SEC, you get however many, 400, 500, 600 million dollars come into the league in a given year, whatever that might be. Uh, as it stands now, Oregon State and Washington State are arguing that they should control all of that because the other 10 schools are leaving the league. The other 10 schools obviously don't feel that way and want mm-hmm. their cut of the share for this year and next year. Uh, though they won't be a part of it. Now, there's been all sorts of things thrown in between, whether that's injunctions or uh, the word T- the, the jargon TRO has been thrown around a lot. And there's a lot of injunctions and sort of crazy legal terms being thrown around. But the short version is, for the time being, the Pac-12 board is controlled by Oregon State and Washington State, at least in good faith, meaning that you know maybe they'll distribute it. I, I don't think that they'll end up controlling this chunk of money, which ends up being probably, I think some folks have estimated around $400 million. But uh, what that actually equates to and and who gets how that gets divvied up is still a little tbd so a judge in west virginia i think it was west virginia right ruled on this ohio versus ncaa case and you got a two-week window now where if you're a second time transfer you can play but you play i guess at your own risk the ncaa said today because if that ruling is later changed then your what whatever you do in this two-week window can and will be used against your eligibility if they change that ruling back the other way? Is that your understanding? 
Correct. Yes, that is that is my understanding. Where do you think this is going to go? It's interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, for now you've got a little bit of a holding pattern, right? So there's an injunction in place basically in that transfers who had their waiver denied for a second transfer are technically eligible for the next, I guess, 14, you know, 13 and a half days, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, the NCAA has basically come out today and said that those teams who play those players will probably not be punished retroactively for doing so if the rules were to go back into place as they were. Now, the kicker is the NCAA has also said that those games played would count toward a redshirt year or whatever that might be. So because of that, you've got this sort of weird holding pattern where coaches don't necessarily want to play guys if they don't want to burn a redshirt. Uh, you know, there won't be any retroactive punishment necessarily, but uh, again, it's kind of a holding pattern at least till December 27th when they'll reconvene and, you know, potentially get a ruling and, and we'll see from there. Crazy. It, it is, it's just, it's just absurd how, and this is, they yesterday said that if you, if you play during this two week window, we won't hold it against you. Then they turn around today and say, we will hold it against you. So there's uh, Charlie Baker, whoever run that organization, they, they can't fix it. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's something that can't be repaired. That makes so that it works under the guidance of common sense. Speaking of common sense, what about the AG at Florida? And now, and I'm sure you saw this. The AG at Florida, you know, wants to take action against the playoff committee uh, over keeping the Seminoles out. And now there's a, a state senator in Georgia. Uh, who wants, this is the craziest one of all, who wants the committee now to bring in this year's Orange Bowl as part of the playoffs setting so that Florida State and Georgia are in the playoff. So how, how, do, you, what do, you, how do you sit around and come up with such a cockamamie idea and go public with it thinking that you can actually get something done and make a change like that? Where does that come from, you think? Well, I think that, uh, you know, someone tweeted this the other day, and I thought it was funny, but basically, you know, you look up and you realize it's an election year, and, you know, folks in Florida decide to, to throw some crazy things out. <laughs> but, right? I mean, are you, you going to go around Are you gonna go around and say, right. folks, listen, I tried to get Georgia in the playoffs. <laughs> I did everything I could. I wrote a letter to the committee. I tweeted bad things about them. Vote for me, and, and I'll also pave your dirt roads. You know right. There's the some Seminoles that will be really feel? excited about it, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. But I look, I think, like, this has happened before, and we've seen similar type things. And, like, the reality is it's all posturing, right? And, and we there's frankly, there's a lot of posturing in college athletics these days to begin with. But I do think that, you know, this is another one of those things. This is not going to end up going anywhere, presumably. But it is it is another reminder that there is truly nothing like college sports and that it continues to be, the you know, a completely insane hmm entity but you know i think one that we all agree is uh is certainly lovable as well of course you guys are in the business of covering the business of sports it's in your title sports business journal so you're covering the business uh who do you think have y'all talked about as a staff like you know everything is there's no transparency in these nil deals but who do you you guys have a feel for which of the athletes out there in the transfer portal john is is making the biggest the biggest deal nil wise somewhere out there in in the country uh who's 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 hitting the the big home run check here 
Yeah, you know, I mean, like, look, you hear rumors thrown around and all of that, and I think it was Matt Rule who said the other day, uh, you know, a good quarterback in the transfer portal is going for somewhere between $1 and $2 million uh, for an NIL deal. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're seeing some of this, on some level at least, is market correcting itself, right? Like, you started out where it was kind of the Wild West. You had people just throwing money at kids. No one knew what anyone was worth. And now we're going on basically three years into this, right? Uh, and I, excuse me, two years into this, really. And the market has kind of started to find itself. So you have things like what Matt Rule said, kind of the quiet part out loud. A quarterback on the market is probably worth somewhere around one, one and a half, two million dollars. You know, I've heard numbers like four and eight million dollars thrown around. Now, how real any of that is, who knows? And again, that points to the lack of transparency. And I think that's the biggest issue. And you know, frankly, that was something that Charlie Baker talked about in his proposal. Uh, about, you know, not necessarily employment status, but paying student-athletes. And he's talked about uh, Georgia's president, Jerry Moorhead, who's heavily involved with the NCAA, talked about it in Vegas last week. I was listening to him, and he he said, you know, you have all these things being thrown around and rumors. Like, there's no transparency with any of it, and there needs to be some way to regulate that. And I think you've seen some bills introduced on Capitol Hill that would, you know, hope to to deal with that, where things are disclosed a little bit more. And, um, you know, certainly that creates all sorts of issues or sorts of issues. But I do think that there's look, there's real money being thrown around and there are guys who are making real money. But I think the amount of guys that are making that kind of money is a lot smaller than I think, you know, the general public would would uh, would, would think is the best way to probably put it. Well, we'll let you go. I want to go back to my original comment as we brought you on because you covered uh, the Gamecocks. You covered Shane Beamer and uh, you know what he has said about what he tells recruits both in the portal, John, and also in the high school ranks, when he's got a bunch of players in a room, it's like, hey, we are all about competition. We play the best players, come in and compete. Is that what you recall him saying? I do, and I think it's been interesting. I mean, they've obviously picked up a number of guys. Running back was definitely a, a dearth for a little while and uh, last year. So they've done some work there. Uh, you know, I think Shane Beamer's largely i think done a really good job in the portal and i think that you know there haven't necessarily been the huge huge hit guys i mean antoine wells and and spencer rattler have been those guys you know it's maybe one or two a class but i think the thing that south carolina's done really really well and i think that shane beamer probably deserves a lot of credit for and i know there's people who are restless after a five and seven season but like the thing that south carolina's done really well for the most part is they've plugged a lot of holes and that's not necessarily guys who are going to be you know all sec players or whatever it is right but you've had guys who've turned into really solid productive pieces for for full seasons, right? Like Nick Gargiulo was a good example, right, at, at, from Yale this year, who, you know, wasn't an all, All-American all or anything like that, but but filled a need and, and played a role that was really helpful on an offensive line that really needed the help, right? Mm-hmm. And guys like that, that I think that South Carolina has done a really good job with that. And, look, there's going to be certain guys that pop or you find a Juice Wells here or there or Spencer Rattler or whoever, but I do think that South Carolina has done – has done a really good job of filling holes, and you know certainly they've done that at running back of late and, and, and other spots as well. Well, I leave you with this, my friend. Civilista hasta la muerta. <laughs> that was pretty good. I'm impressed. I mean, that was pretty good. How how close was I? This is on your. Uh, for some reason, this is what you have on your on your Twitter on your X handle. Yeah. What is that? Uh, it's a. Uh, I hope it wasn't profanity o- in another yeah, language. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a. Uh, I would say that's an ode to uh, the time I spent living in Spain. So there you go. That Sevilla Um That was pretty. That was pretty good, Phil. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. You did a pretty good job. I did have two years of Spanish in high school, my friend. So I'm not completely <laughs> yeah, incompetent. Say what? Oh, no, that was pretty good. Are you Are good. you fluent in Spanish? I am. 
Not fluent, but I speak it pretty well, I would say. Yeah. Buenos dias, senor. Stop. Stop, Gracias, Bill. amigos. Thanks, guys. Como esta usted? Thanks, Ben. Como esta usted? Ben, thank you very much, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank Always you. fun. Thank you. I'm bilingual. He's a sharp dude. I'm, I'm just I'm impressed. I'm I'm bi. Folks I'm bilingual. Be awfully, awfully impressed. <laughs>